there was an audio upgrade in the car that I was allowed to drive. I had convinced my father to allow me to drive to school with a one-year-old car, and we made an audio upgrade. Not only was the car way cooler than a station wagon, hello, but the car had an audio upgrade, and we replaced the radio with one of these, a cassette deck. It was incredibly cool. Cassette deck, if you don't know what that is, look it up. Now, you would never have a new car today with a cassette deck. Not at all. The, the options of XM radio and Sirius XM and Bluetooth and pairing and satellite, well, it makes this totally obsolete. Totally obsolete. Like no one would get a new car and put a cassette deck in. That'd be dumb. Let me give you another example. When people talk about the good old days, here's what they don't think is the good old days. We love indoor plumbing. Amen? Like when it's 10 below, nobody goes, oh, I miss an outhouse. They're only great on camping or if you're in the woods at a cabin or something like that. I mean, they, they serve their purpose, but they're inefficient. They're obsolete. One final one. I spent 25 years in ministry in near the Dakotas, okay? So all the Laura Ingle Wilder stuff, that's great in the movies, but you would never want to travel in a stagecoach or in a wagon like that. Can you imagine moving from the West Coast to the Midwest in like a covered wagon? No, it'd be horrible. I mean, you couldn't listen to music, air conditioning, and what about mosquitoes? It'd be, it'd be dumb. All of those things, biffies, cassettes, and covered wagons, we would say they're obsolete. They're not efficient. They serve their purpose for a time, but better things have come. And here's how that connects, that idea of obsolete. In the final summary verse of the passage of Scripture that we're going to take a look at, the word obsolete is used two times, and it means inefficient, and it's been dated or surpassed. And so listen to this. We're, we'll come back to this from Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. It says this, by calling this covenant new, he, Jesus, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit, made the first one obsolete. Say the word back to me. One, two, three. Ready? Obsolete. And what was obsolete was outdated. And that will soon disappear. So welcome to chapter 8 in the book of Hebrews. We're in a subsection of 8, 9, and 10. And we're focusing on the sacrifice of what Christ has done. His greater ministry and him being a greater mediator. Greater ministry. Why? Because we'll see in our passage of Scripture that it is new. His ministry is new. And it's compared to some clue, some clue words that help us. The second thing that we're going to take a look at is being a greater mediator. Now, we've spent a ton of time talking about priests. And you might be sitting here thinking, going, that has nothing to do with me. How does that relate in my life when I walk out these doors in 30 minutes? How does that relate in my life? Well, here it is. I'm going to give you four things that when you stand up, sing the last song, and walk out of here, you're going to say, okay, this applies to my life. So I want to invite you to find a copy of the scriptures. Um, there are Bibles that are close by. 
It's on page 1036. 1036, we'll look at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. I just read to you verse 13, page 1037. And you'll notice that the subtitle of this is called The High Priest of a New Covenant. Did you have a chance to find it there? Page 1037? Okay, reading in Jesus' name. Now, the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human beings. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifice, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were here on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, quote, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain, unquote. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place could have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, and this next quote is significant. It is the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament. The longest passage of scripture of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And that matters. I'm going to show you the reason why. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least to the greatest. <clears throat> For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. This is God's word. It's true. It always will be true. And watch what it does in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing and glorious picture of the high and holy sanctuary of heaven that your son, our savior and redeemer, our best friend and elder brother is the bridge builder, the mediator of a better covenant. Thank you that he stands in the gap between God and man. Now forever, in the mystery and reality of the Trinity, God has a human heart. Wow. Jesus, you are fully human and you are holy to pay the price for our sins. And yet you are fully human to actually die. And you did so as a final sin sacrifice. And we have praised you with our voices for your shed blood has been spilled, creating a forever and permanent way for us to live forever. So I pray for those who hear this message, give them ears to hear in hearts that are willing to receive a word of correction or rebuke, of instruction, of training, 
or encouragement. There is no one like you, Jesus. There is none like you. You are the conquering king. You are the crucified carpenter from Nazareth. You are the only son of God. And I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon this message and our time in your word and do a supernatural work that only you and you can do alone for your fame and for your glory and for the building of the church that goes out on mission. Amen and amen. I want to invite you, and I lost the clicker. So I'm going to have to do this next slide. I don't know where the clicker went. Boom, there it is. Perfect. I'll just go like that. I tell you what, when I snap my fingers, if you could click, and then we'll deal with the clicker after the service. How does that sound? Does that sound okay? Hey, uh, let me just encourage you. I've done this before. I've repeated it again and again. And if you're watching online, I want to encourage you to download the bulletin insert. The reason why, the reason why is because you can take notes and then you can go back later and then do some research. There's going to be some key words that are here that you'll want to say, what did he say again? What did he say again? And I think it'll be helpful. Here's the first thing. Jesus has a greater ministry because it's new. The word new is used several different times. Did you see it in verse 6 and the verse 13? The word new that's there is a powerful word, and it's compared to the word copy and the word shadow. Uh, what is a shadow all about? A shadow represents something that's there. We had our grandson, our 20-month-old grandson, a couple weeks ago, and we were going for a walk, or he was taking us for a walk and wearing us out. And Julie said to me, she said, it's always fun to see someone who sees their shadow for the very first time. I had never thought about that. And the scriptures say that the sanctuary and the first covenant were a shadow. Then it also uses the line of an out, it, it uses the word of an outline or a copy. And a copy means to simply have drawings. Imagine someone that you know is building their dream house and they show you their blueprints. And they're all excited about the blueprints and their, their house. Wouldn't it seem a little strange if like four years later and you say, hey, how do you like your new house? And they would say, look at our blueprints. They are awesome. You'd say, didn't you... Show me those four years ago. Jesus has a greater ministry because it's brand new. It's hinted at in verse 5 that Moses simply had a glimpse. But what Christ does is totally different than what was given in the old covenant. Now, we've been trying to be really intentional in this series, talking about Jesus is greater, and that's no surprise and the writer of Hebrews uses words like superior, better, greater. And so we've, we've in, in fact, in most of the messages, I've tried to use this idea of greater, and I don't know if you've caught that. Jesus, we talked about Moses, and Jesus is greater than Moses. We talked about Aaron, and Jesus is greater than Aaron. We talked about Joshua, and Jesus is greater than Joshua. All of these are Old Testament, like superstars, and then also we talked about right away, the very first message, that Jesus is greater than angels. Angels are great, but Jesus is way far superior to them. And Jesus, here are prophets, and Jesus is way superior to them. And Jesus, here are, here are priests, lots of priests, 
good people, but Jesus is a perfect priest, much, much greater. And the idea about that is that all of those were shadows or mere copies to go, oh, I can see, but he's the main thing. So on the back of your bulletin, I want to show you something that has been really helpful. I'm a visual learner, and I think many people are as well, too. Again, if you're watching this online, you can download this. This is part two of a, just a graph that we found, that I found from someone in the UK, and they, I was in conversation with them, and we were able to pay for this. And this is part two. If you want part one, you can pick up a paper copy at the Welcome Center. If you're watching online, you write to our office, and we'll send this to you. But notice what it says. Jesus is greater. The shadow and the reality in Hebrews. Look at that first one. Levitical priests serve in a human tent on earth, and it is a copy and a shadow. But Jesus' place of service is superior to that of the Levitical priesthood. I'm going across on that top line. Jesus is our true high priest, and he serves on a divine throne in heaven, which is original and is reality. Look at the next one. Levitical priests, they mediate old covenant. They're ineffective. There's that word obsolete. Jesus' covenant is superior to that of the Levitical priesthood. And Jesus is our true high priest and he mediates new covenants that are effective and eternal. Why don't you go to the next slide. This is what Hebrews 10, 10 through 12 says. Why don't you read it out loud with me and we see our, our Savior who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You confess this when little Eliza came to, the, came, to Christ, came to Christ through baptism. You confess that Jesus is right now, this afternoon, this morning, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And what's he doing? Let's read Hebrews 10, 10 through 12. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again, and he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He did. Next slide. Mark chapter 16, verses 19 tells us that after Jesus had breathed on his disciples and told them to make, make disciples in all the world, he ascended and sat at the right hand of God the Father. How the disciples saw that, whether they used super cool binoculars or whatever, I don't know how that is. But the Bible says that he ascended and he has completed his work and right now he's at a place of authority and he's interceding on our behalf. That's amazing. The Apostle Paul writes this, walk in the way of love as Christ has loved us and he gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice unto God. Jesus' greater ministry, because it's new, means that it is genuine. God doesn't abandon his people with a different set altogether. He renews and expands his promises to all who are in Christ. Include, and that includes those who repent, only those who repent, who turn from their selfish and wicked ways. And if you have not asked Christ into your heart, I beg and implore you to confess your sins, repent, turn from your wicked ways. The law acts as a mirror. It was never intended to equip us 
or empower us for perfection. That wasn't its duty. That wasn't its role. The law is good, but it acts as a mirror and it shows us our selfishness and it shows us our impurities. And right away, right away, at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the giving, the first giving of the good news. It says this, He will crush his head and he will bruise his heel. It's prophetic in nature. Here's what that means. He is Christ and he will destroy Satan, the one who will bruise his heel and harm him and kill him. Notice that the he is not a what. The what would be the law. It's, it, will the law kill Satan? No. And destroy Satan? No. It is a who. It is the person of Jesus Christ that is new and that is good news. That's the hope that we have. Now, word of caution. It would be inappropriate to say then, do we just throw out the whole Old Testament? Like just a bunch of legalistic rules that we don't have to deal with the Old Testament anymore. No. That would be as ridiculous as being a New Testament Christian and not considering about obeying. And we see it again and again in the book of Hebrews, again, that we are to obey what God shows us to do. And we ask for his grace, we ask for his power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus has a greater ministry because it's new. But there's a key. There's a key in this passage of scripture. And so let me just give you an illustration that happened just yesterday. Uh, my wife and I were walking our dog around our small block. And at this stage in our life, most neighbors know us as Lucy's parents, not necessarily Kirk and Julie, okay? So we're walking our dog around this one home, and they have just sold their home. And so we're, we met this neighbors, and we've just gotten to know them a little bit. And so I asked the question, you know, when do you close? And so he told me the closing date. And there's something about when someone closes on their house, you get this. If you're a homeowner, you get this. When you close on your house, you're you're kind of done with that house, right? The old owner doesn't come back and say, hey, you're supposed to mow your lawn on Tuesday. Garbage day is on Monday. And be nice to people on trick-or-treating. You're not done. You're done with that house, right? You're done with that. You've turned the keys over. That chapter is done. Well, we get to verse 6, and verse 6 ends, acts as a bookend, if you will. It ends the argument of chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. In other words, Jesus is greater than all those. And now we focus on the sacrifice and what Christ has done. Verse 6 reads this way. This is in your bulletin insert. It says this, But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant, which he is the mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Next slide. Jesus' greater ministry is only seen best as Jesus is, as the greater mediator. A mediator is one who stands in the middle between two people and acts as a bridge. And I've used this illustration before, but it helps us to see it. Next slide. 
Jesus acts as a bridge between people and God. And the Latin word for priest is bridge builder. That's what Christ has done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, we read this. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? That's Jesus. For what was glorious has no glory, now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So here's the mediator. And this is what he gives us based on his great promises. Promise one. Next slide. Promise one is this. He has promised greater indwelling power and motivation compared to an external list. Look what it says. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. This is the promise of Pentecost to be my witness. That new creation of what Christ will do. One of the most famous passages of scripture that new Christians memorize and that we share when people confess their sins is 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And, and what's beautiful is this idea about new, the word that's used there, or excuse me, for creation, the word that's used for creation is the word Christus. And in Latin, it means this, ex nihilo. It's what the, theologians use to describe how God made something out of nothing. That's how he created the world. He just spoke, and the mountains came to be. He just spoke, and the seas came to be. He just spoke, and he created the super cool pheasant that's really fun to shoot and eat. He did that. You are a new creation in Christ. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you are a new creature, not a model, a new creature, something out of nothing. Notice this is different than our narrative that we hear today that says be a better version of you or be the best version of you. No. What this promise says is even better. He is the holy version of himself in you. He's filling you with his Holy Spirit and he's creating someone that has never been seen before who acts in a way that honors Jesus that doesn't come from your own strength. My colleague Eric Johnson gave the Lenten message and he read from Colossians 3, 12 through 14 and it talks about what a Holy Spirit person filled person would look like. Listen to this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bear with one another and forgive one another. If anyone of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these things, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. No one can do that apart from the Holy Spirit. You don't become religious and do all these virtues like, oh, I got to be more kind. Oh, I got to be more passionate. I got to be more. No. Nobody can pull that off unless there's a promise of inner, inner power and inner motivation. And that's the great promise. It's written right here. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Next slide. 
The second one is we are promised a greater priest and a close relationship with our Holy Father instead of distance and fear. We're promised a greater priest. I will be their God and they will be my people. When Pastor Brian last week walked us through Hebrews chapter 7, he, he made a comment about Melchizedek and Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek and he said something and I thought, really? That's really true, isn't it? And this is what he said. He said, Christ as our high priest is always accessible, always available, always there for us. And I sat on that pew over there and I thought, wait a second. He's available, he's reachable, He's open to my vulnerabilities, to my insecurities, to doubts, to fears, to worries, to sin struggles, to sin defeats, momentary times of great worship passion, and then hypocritical behavior. And instead of Jesus looking at you and I and saying, oh, brother, oh, sister, he whispers and says, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. That's the great promise that we have one who's always accessible to us. There's a pastor by the name of Steve Brown. He's got this really cool old man, white beard. He looks really kind of tough, and he talks like this. And his tagline for his ministry is, God is not mad at you. Wow. Did that wash over you? If you know Christ, let that good news just wash over you. That Christ has taken our sin upon himself. Third promise. Next slide. Jesus is a greater mediator because of a greater promise. He promised greater confidence and assurance instead of insecurity and uncertainty. You belong. You belong as a child of God in his family. The reason why I point at this ring and I give you this blessing each week and the ring says beloved is because it's a reminder to you and I that we belong in the family of God. We're not a mistake. One of my favorite movie clips that I can see in my heart, in my mind, and I, and I just kind of, it just wrecks me every time, is a movie clip from a movie called Antoine Fisher. It's the story of a young man who had a very difficult background growing up, going through the foster care program, but not having a lot of care in the fostering. And so in this movie, he works through his anger by joining the military. And Denzel Washington plays the part of a Navy psychiatrist and they're walking through and going through some of the hurt that he has and in his process, he tries to find out his family of origin. And through a number of different things, Antoine Fisher, at the closing of the film, shows Antoine Fisher going to this home, this beautiful home, and nervously walking up on the porch. And as the door opens up, and it's this long hallway, almost kind of like the center of our sanctuary, all of the cousins and the aunts and the uncles and the Nieces and the nephews of this large extended family are reaching out and touching Antoine Fisher as he's walking in the house and they're saying, welcome, welcome, we're glad you're here. Hey, I'm your cousin Eddie. I'm, and they're touching him. He's, he's like overwhelmed with all these people that are giving him this attention. And the doors open up at the end of the hallway. 
And as Antoine Fisher walks in, there's this beautiful feast with biscuits and a big turkey and pie and vegetables. I didn't like that part of the film. And then all of the people around the table are the elderly, the patriarchs and the matriarchs. And there's a sweet girlfriend and she gives him a kiss and he sits right next to this elderly woman. She's the matriarch and she does this. She knocks on the table and everything goes quiet. And she takes her coupled hands that are kind of crippled by arthritis and she puts Antoine Fisher's face in her hands and she looks at him and she says these simple words, welcome, welcome. And it wrecks me every time because when I think about God the Father placing my face in his hands, and he says, welcome, son. You belong here. That's the promise, friends. That's the greater promise, friends. If you are in Christ, God the Father takes you, and he looks at you, and he says, welcome. You belong here. He's the greater mediator. Final one. Last slide. He is the greater mediator because he gives forgiveness and mercy instead of failure and regrets. He is the greater mediator because of greater promises. He promised greater forgiveness and mercy instead of failure and regrets. Maybe you've heard this story before. It comes from the American novelist Ernest Hemingway from his short story called The Capital of the World. He writes this story. No one could really say why the young man ran away. Or perhaps he didn't, but he was kicked out of his home by his father for something foolish that he said or did. Either way, Paco found himself wandering the streets of Madrid, Spain, with hopes of entering into a profession that would most likely get him killed, bullfighting. Those who trained under a mentor have a good chance of surviving this profession, but Paco's memory of his mistakes and guilt over what happened blindly drove him to this one-way street to suicide. But that was the last thing this dad wanted, which is why he tried something desperate, which he hoped desperately would work. There was little to no chance that he would be able to find his son Paco by wandering the streets of a city like Madrid. So instead, he put an advertisement in the local newspaper El Liberal, and the advertisement simply read this, Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Paco is such a common name in Spain that when the father went to Hotel Montana the next day at noon, there were 800 young men named Paco waiting for their fathers and waiting for the forgiveness that they never thought was possible. Hear this simple message that never gets old because it's new every day in its reality. At the cross, the mediator Jesus offers forgiveness and for sins like faults that you and I have. He's at the cross. He's at the cross willing to forgive you, willing to cleanse you. Call out to him. Cry out to him. God, have mercy on my soul. And he will have mercy on your soul. But the ball's in your court. He will never force anyone into the kingdom. That's not how he is. He is a gentleman. And he loves you. And he gave his life for you. 
and he desires to have you be in his family. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to just lead you in a simple prayer. If you've never prayed this prayer for the very first time, it'll change your life. And it will be hard because you will walk in a narrative, in a culture that does not promote these promises. It says you deserve it. This is a little bit too much. You don't want to be a religious weirdo. The only hope you have standing in front of a holy God is to have the blood of Christ all over you. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you can say and repeat a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Forgive my sins. And quietly, I would just ask you to confess your sins quietly. God knows and you're agreeing with him. Turn from my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to wash me clean by the blood of Christ. Thank you that you have shown mercy on me. Give me a hunger for your word. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. The Bible calls that a born-again experience. And this is very important that you do these next couple steps. Number one, tell somebody, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, tell somebody. Text them, email them, call them today. Number two, number two, find yourself a Bible. Find yourself a Bible and get a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, I want to give you one. No strings attached. No strings attached. And you can go to the Welcome Center and pick up a Bible. In fact, my friend Wes, would you walk out to the Welcome Center and just put some New Testaments there by where the coffee is? You can do that. And then let me encourage you to do something. You got to walk with the Lord with other people. There's a list in the, in the, in the bulletin of all the different life groups that are there. And find one. And if you're a guest this morning and you're at a different church, well then plug into that church. But make sure that you find a church that lifts up the name of Jesus and opens up God's word and makes it, try to make it as plain as possible. Okay? So if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, allow me to say, on behalf of the King, welcome to the family of God. Welcome. Welcome. Let's stand together. we got one more song we're going to sing.